0: There are people that, for different cultural reasons, feel like they need to code switch to be here at school. But sometimes that code switching really feels like you're sacrificing part of your identity and your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is unique to people of color, mm-hmm. feeling like you're code switching the way you're maybe dressed or talking or who you're around um, yeah. to fit in, to acclimate, to assimilate to a place. You really have to sacrifice parts of your identity.
1: My name is Rob Van Nood. And
0: I'm Jeffrey Silverstein.
1: You're listening to Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between.
0: Educators and students share their short, elevator pitch-sized stories to raise your awareness of all the interesting things that are going on here at Catlin Gable School.
1: In this episode of Elevate, I sit down with Director of Inclusion and Outreach, Jasmine Love, and Coordinator of Multicultural Programs and Youth Partnerships, Kofi Obang, to talk about the experience of being black at independent schools, code-switching, and how the center has empowered students.
2: So I've been asked a lot why I work at Catelyn gable School. And when I went to an Urban League dinner, somebody came up to me, a black man came up to me, and I am black, and said, what is a person like you doing working at a school like that? And this question about... Why would a black person work in an independent school when there's so much need outside in the community? And I always answer the same way, because, one, you get to choose where you work in life, and an education like this should be accessible to everybody. Do you get that question?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, it's funny that you started that way, because I was banking on starting a similar way. Um, And for me, it's more... There are often times where I'm just like, should I be here right now? And the impetus for that question is... You know, sometimes I work with other schools in different capacities, not directly that. I see students that somewhat look like me, you know, students of color, specifically black students. And I see a lot of educators there that predominantly are white educators, especially in PPS schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I wonder, you know, me as a young black male, I've been working in independent schools the last seven years. And should I be there? You know, who am I serving the most by being here and what is my perception from the students? Um, And, you know, yeah, it could be cool if I'm their first black teacher and I understand that I might be their only black teacher. But what would it mean for me to be in more racially diverse school settings where, you know, I could be seen as uh, specifically a black male role model for students? Um, And would it make my job more fulfilling?
2: Right, and what would it feel like as an individual to be in the majority of teaching Mm -hmm. and not to be the only teacher and that stress of isolation that comes up. Yeah. I think I also think about when people say, and I think it was Brian Stevenson said, you should be proximate to the trauma and making a judgment that there's not trauma in independent schools or that people with privilege don't experience intense, difficult things. And I think that there's a need for a role model, not just for black students, but for all students to see black people in schools like this, where people assume everybody who works here is incredibly intelligent, which is true, Yeah. but that we are also smart people. Yeah. And I, I think that role modeling is really important for all students, not just for black students, not just for brown students.
0: Yeah. Speaking of.
1: Uh, well, I, just following up on that, I'm, I'm wondering, um, in the, the years you guys have been here, um, Have you noticed a cultural shift in in terms of the community of black uh, faculty here Um, with those kind of conversation? I'm just curious about if things have changed with a a it seems like, well, I've been here seven years or six years, and um, there has been an increase of number of faculty of color since I've been here. And so I'm curious. since you've been here, if you feel a change or how does that look for the future for a place like Catlin or other independent schools? Um,
2: yeah, it's a good question. I feel a shift. I definitely feel a shift. And um, I was pretty lonely four years ago and then the faculty and the staff increased. And so for me personally, it's been very heartening, but now I feel like we're seeing a decrease and I'm not sure what all of that is about and that's a little bit scary. That's just, I mean selfish at this point, just personally, professionally, not to have colleagues of color, African American colleagues. And there's certainly times when we all gather that are important times for me to say, oh, I don't have to code switch today or I can just relax.
0: And for me, I've only been here three years and only these last two years have I had more of a pulse on the overall school climate. And I would say that Something that gets forgotten is, I mean, my first year I was in the middle school, after school program, and even, in like my lens oftentimes is through the African-American lens, right? And even if there were, you know, three African-American teachers in the lower school, and several in the middle school, and several in the upper school, and beginning school, even if that was there, like, who do you see every day? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in the middle school, after school program, I didn't see... Any African-American adults on a day-to-day basis for example um, and some students that are just in the middle school might have that same experience mm-hmm. so even though we're we all we are one school um, clearly it feels like several different schools and one person experience might be very much shaded by who they see on a day-to-day basis yeah. um, And, you know, diversity in the lower school doesn't necessarily trickle up to what happens in the upper school or what it looks like in the upper school.
2: And I think when we have African-American, Latino, Asian, Native, and I don't know that we have any Native faculty or staff right now, so but I think it feel it feels like a small number to me, but people seem to think we have a lot because there's a lot more than there was. And and there's I don't know if we exceed the percentage in Portland, but I get the I don't feel when I come to school, I live on the East Side now, it feels more diverse at my home space than at school. So I don't feel like I'm coming to a very diverse place. Um, but I know other people do experience mm-hmm. it as more diverse. And more diverse yeah. than other independent schools in Portland. But being from Los Angeles, this has been really a very homogeneous environment for me. Yeah. And I don't think we talk enough about code switching. It doesn't just mean how you talk. It just means how how you are, how you can be, how you can relax or not relax or be yourself or be authentic. And I try to be authentic, but I cannot be my whole self here in ways that would be professionally seen yeah. as professional. I don't think.
0: Yeah. I think an interesting, interesting part about code switching is... Like yeah, I certainly code switch, and know several mm-hmm. others I do. And I think there are people that, for different cultural reasons, feel like they need to code switch to be here at school. But sometimes that code switching really feels like you're sacrificing part of your identity and your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is unique to people of color, mm-hmm. feeling like you're code switching the way you're maybe dressed or talking or who you're around. Um, yeah. To fit in, to acclimate, to assimilate to a place, you really have to sacrifice parts of your identity.
2: And it's a daily thing. It's a minute-by-minute thing. And and given our jobs, both of our jobs and inclusion work, we have to be really careful about not offending anybody. And if the way I talk normally would offend somebody, then I can't talk that way, especially in this position. But I think the part that people don't think about is it's not just language. It's it's really just how you are, how you hold yourself, how you Mm -hmm. walk. How you trip over somebody else's conversation, or don't. Somebody might think I'm interrupting when I'm used to just talking over people, because that's a little bit more of what happens in African and African American communities. So, that is a stress, and I think it's a stress that adds to the retention rate.
1: So, in terms of students' um, experience with having to code switch, um, do you do you have a sense that that's similar for them? In terms of the reason um, that they feel inclined to code switch because they don't want to offend um, the dominant culture of students, I'm just curious about, you know, like what what is the what is the consequence of not code switching for both faculty? I mean, you talked a little bit about mm-hmm. about saying that you offend something offend other people, but is there are there other things like um, right. beyond that
2: right. I might offend I'm thinking about myself personally I think for our students it's a lot about feeling smart or being seen as intelligent mm-hmm. and they want to be seen as intelligent and to fit into a culture for instance if there's a music if there's music happening in Kabul and people aren't clapping and moving because that's the culture here not to do so quite as much that can feel repressive what do you think
0: yeah I agree with that um, and yes, I do think our students code switch for, I mean, I can't speak for them or speak for what reasons, but I also feel like there is this like reclaiming of identity that is happening a lot with, I don't know which generation Z or Y, or whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of our students are. Um, <laughs> and I feel like they are pushing back in a way that is easier potentially than it is for the adults in the community. Right. Um, they also, I mean, they don't have jobs at stake. They have social capital at stake, which matters a lot. Right. But I feel like there is this real power and thirst to like reclaim identity for all our students. Um, you know, social media is helping with that and being able to name, oh, this is who I am. This is for what reason. Um, so our students have that fight, which is great to see.
1: I mean, is it possible for that stu- the student fight, to reclaim that, to? give opportunity and say hey faculty it's okay to do you know to to make these changes as well i'm just wondering if you could kind of reverse it with this you know enough student revolt to some degree or um, reclaiming of their own identity support faculty to be like oh students are doing that i'm gonna be part of that as well
2: Maybe. I mean, I think there's a bridge to that, which is part of why we have affinity groups and also why I think not just why we have the center, but it happens at the center that students will go over to the center and be completely different than they are on campus. And I think it's not just students of color, but all Mm -hmm. students. There's a different way. And you can speak to this more in the environment of the center that allows them to be more authentic um, and more of who they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe to speak to
0: that, that you know, talking about creating that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see those all just as avenues for empowerment Mm -hmm. and avenues that, even though I wasn't in school not long ago at all, um, I didn't have as a student. And it's great to see these students in affinity spaces feeling more liberated in themselves as much as they can be on campus at school. Um, And then also off campus at the center, you know, it's still academic in a way there's mm-hmm. still it's still a learning environment but just to see them peel back certain layers that you see them uphold whether on campus here at their own schools yeah. um, you really feel like they are liberated and getting more empowered even if they're not speaking you know they're carrying themselves in a different way
2: yeah their body language is different there's usually music playing. There's all, and which encourages a lot of creativity. It just is a, it's their space. Their voice is the first voice that we hear and that we are led by that voice.
1: So could that, the lessons we learn there be translated? Like what, what would a space here on camp? Is it possible to have a space on here on campus that could match that same energy? That's an
2: interesting question. Or
1: is it because it's separate, it's far away, it's like, we can kind of recreate this away
0: from life on the hill. Um, Yeah, I don't know what that would look like on campus besides there not being adults present in that space. Yeah. Um, In the center, even with adults present, still seems like it's, like, youth know that when they go there, there's a certain level of maturity they should have in that space, especially because sometimes they're welcoming in strangers from outside that have been invited um you really see them you know Mm -hmm. mature just in an instant they They, rise up yeah yeah, and just greet other people um and then they also have the freedom to play you know have the ox chord as they say and play music um so you got topics that wouldn't make it to the classroom feel like they don't have to worry about something getting back to their teachers yeah all with you know a certain level of respect um and honesty that I think would be hard to replicate on campus.
2: And there's a culture here, it's invisible, but it's definitely a a culture. And we talk about it as a bubble, but it feels like a neighborhood, a campus. And when you go there, even though it is one of the most gentrified areas of town, you're still going over the river, you're in a different part Mm -hmm. of the city, and you feel it. It feels different. And you're gonna see folks of color walking down the street, maybe looking in, and just, you don't don't see that here. And they have to navigate that. So, I don't think that unless our faculty and staff go to the center, they can really experience that. they can hear about it, but they have to go there to actually experience it.
1: So, how do you envision um, or how could we envision as a community making the center more of a center to the work we do here on campus? How do we get people out there? You know, can you give a little pitch for you know what are opportunities that people could? could grab onto
0: or that they have been like who's doing what um already yeah um who's doing what already the sixth grade class goes every year um carter ties it into a curriculum about looking at neighborhood change portland's history gentrification and just in terms of portland history in and of itself i feel like the center is such a great hub for it because yeah The area that the center is around has changed so much, but since there are different community leaders, politicians, um, you know, CEOs, activists, artists that know about the center, it's just a hub for people to come together and we've established those connections. So there's so many different field trips or um, cross-disciplinary things that can happen and have happened at the center. I just think teachers need to know that it's available. available. And need to know how to logistically get there.
2: And um, then they can do pretty much anything students want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's the greatest thing. They can do anything.
0: Yeah. And it's not on campus. Right. You know. we've done some, And kids love it. Yeah. A lot of great experiential learning. Mm-hmm. Um, George Zdenovich, the director of the center, created this experiential learning book, you know, this place curriculum, which is amazing. And the lesson plans are all there. hmm well,
1: great. Hopefully this podcast will get in, maybe in a, f- a bug in a few faculty's ears to, to consider um, doing something with you guys next year. I hope yeah. so.
2: Yeah. And even the rest of this year.
1: Yeah. Well, I will put on um, on the description of the podcast, I'll put in some links to, to the center or any other links that you guys want me to add in there cool. so people have some other resources. Yeah. There's
2: a block party coming up that everybody should come to.
0: Yes, June June 14th, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., Friday, the same day as the last school day on campus. Center block party, open to all, and an art showcase, which was really exciting. Um, And I also want to mention that other teachers that have used the center this year, Crystal Wu has brought classes there, and Jordan and Zach in the lower school have brought classes there. So, I'm always hopeful that teachers that have used the center will talk about how they did it, the logistical aspects, and what their students gained from it.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for sitting down, chatting with me. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rob. All right.